Amen. Everybody say, God bless Brother Johnson. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to be back in the house of the Lord today. I know I've been gone for a couple weeks on vacation. But you know, as we sing in the songs today, Brother Goff, a, a scripture came to mind right off the top of my hand about the lame man that was set at the gate called Beautiful. You know, he was just looking, brother, for a little change. But that day, he got the bank, so to speak. He, he, he got more than a little change. He, he, he got a life changing he got great change that day yes sir and I tell you what it wasn't church as usual that day it was church unusual and that's what I hope to see here in the house of the Lord today is church unusual not only did it help the man sitting at the gate called beautiful but the miracles that was came from the hands of those apostles there that day I guarantee it brought great encouragement for them as well too oh I was on vacation, brother, and uh, I tell you what, I'm finally, I, I, I think I'm going to stop doing hiking vacations because I, at the age of 47, it's easy to go down the hill, but coming back up out of the hill was quite the, quite the effort. I know down in the bottom of the hills, when we go down in there and, and, and see things, down in the valley, there's also beautiful things in the valley as well, and it's not as easy. When you're down in the valley, it's hard to see those things that are beautiful in life. But I'm here to tell you, coming out of that valley can be tough without some help. As I'm here today, i was been uh, praying. I had a couple messages on my mind. Friday morning I woke up and I felt this urgency that I need to be back in the house of the Lord. I didn't know why, I didn't know, I didn't have any clues. So we packed up and headed out that morning. Got back to Branson, and I was summoned by pastor. It's your turn to preach. And I'm like, dear Lord, have mercy. <laughs> oh, my, the poor saints of God. So anyways, as we was down in that, in that deal, it was, it was nice because there was no cell service. There was no text going off all the time. There was no, none of that. And, and it reminded me, the Wi-Fi, the, the cabin said the Wi-Fi was there. It reminded me of the old AOL days, you know, where it dee, 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 dial up. And it, if my wife was on the Internet, I couldn't be on the Internet because there wasn't enough bandwidth to support us both. Praise God. But yesterday I started uh, writing out a message and it wasn't coming together too good. And then Sister Riggins sent out a message and wanted somebody to help her clean her side of the church. And I was frustrated with where it was going, so... It's like, you know what, I need to get away from this for a minute and maybe going up to the church might be the right thing for me to do. So I come up here and as I was sweeping and everything, I, you know, I had about three or four messages on my mind and they were all just messages that, you know, I thought and then I tossed it aside. But one of them came to mind for today and it's going to seem like a strange Mother's Day sermon. But I felt it and, and the more I started looking at it and working on it and started typing and started researching, the, the more I felt confident in it. So I'm going to preach to you today for a little bit. If you'll turn in your Bibles here today to Hebrews 11 and 1. When you have it, say amen. And I agree with the brethren here today on Happy Mother's Day for all the mothers that may be listening online and those that are here today. When you have it, say amen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
the evidence of things not seen. The Living Bible says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something that we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Skip down to verse 6, and it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Because God is truth. And when God speaks the word, it becomes truth. And when you doubt God, you're doubting the very nature of God Himself. And calling him a liar. Skip down here in the hall of faith down to verse 30 of Hebrews. And it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed when she had received the spies with peace. And you don't have to jump over here, but I'll read it right quick. Our story today is found in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 15. It says... Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. In Hebrews 11, it is a museum of characters called the Hall of Faith. Looking at these heroes, the men and women of renown, who God has placed in the New Testament church out of the Old Testament scriptures for us to emulate when it comes to living by faith. In the reading of this chapter, we come across the most unlikely candidate in our faith of museum of faith. We come across a hero for us to be analyzing a lady by the name of Rahab the harlot. And of all the people who are in this text, you would think she doesn't belong here. First, she's a Gentile. She is not a Jew. Second, she does not belong to the people of God by her historical background. Third, her background is not one given to faith. But worse of all, Rahab's occupation was that of a harlot. Rahab was faced with a choice. She could have stayed there and not had faith to believe what she had heard and perished with the others in that city that day. Or she could do something about her crisis situation. Faith is not measured by your feelings. It is measured by... By your actions. It would, it would not be an easy decision here today for Rahab to make. She had to be willing to forsake her culture, her friends, her country, her profession, and even her own lifestyle. If she had made a decision to align herself with the culture instead of the Lord, nobody would have named her, nobody would have known her name today. She would have perished with the others. But because she made a radical decision to align herself with the Lord, though that she would not be disaligned with the culture, she would still be ta- we would still not be talking about Rahab today. Why did she believe? Why? Because she heard of the miracles on the other side of the Jordan that day. And so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And because she believed... She was given a window of opportunity. And that's what I'm going to preach about here for just a little while this morning. is about a window of opportunity. Praise God. Let's pray for the message here this morning.
today. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you as our prayer. You may be seated. The phrase of window of opportunity is a favorable opportunity for doing something that must be seized immediately if it is not to be missed. And that's what we're going to talk about here for a little while today. Since the time of leaving of Egypt, the children of Israel were finally about to enter the land of promise. And the only thing standing between them and the promise was a river, a wall, and a shout. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness due to their father's doubt and unbelief and complaining, which they had to perish from, this was a new generation of people. A generation of sons and daughters that at the time were 20 years old or younger at the time of the judgment. These were the children of the children of Israel. And in the wilderness they did not get to see all, perhaps all of the miracles that their fathers got to see back in Egypt with all of the plagues. I'm sure they got to hear about the stories of what God did for them in the past. But they themselves didn't get to see that. But here today, I want to talk to you about you can't live off of your parents' relationship with God. You must have your own relationship with the Lord. You must have your own experiences. You must have your own deliverances. You must have your own faith here today. Let's go back for a little bit here today and let's see what made God so angry with the children of Israel. The story starts here with this, as God sends the ten spies out to the pro promised land of Canaan after leaving Egypt. Numbers 13, 25 through 33, Brother Golf, if you would. They returned from searching of the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron. And to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The people it, be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. They had great walls in that city. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwelt there in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. There was giants in the land there. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. Caleb had a different attitude than most of the people there. He said, You know what? These walls are great. The circumstances don't look so wonderful, but I tell you what, we got God on our side and we can take this land here today. Continue on. For we are well able to overcome it, but the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the Notice land. Notice here, God says they brought an evil report. Which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land though through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. <laughs> this land's going to eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. We can't do this, church. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw, we, there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we are on our own sight as grasshoppers. We're just little bitty people and grasshoppers in the sight of them. I believe before they got to the land of Canaan, 
God had already been over there using the people to prepare the land for their arrival. Just as He has gone to prepare a place for us. And instead of focusing on the blessings and the promises of God, they were looking at their own problems and situations and their attitude become uh, negative. This problem is too big for us and we just can't do it here. They were so disheartened that they decided that they would choose a leader to take them back to Egypt. To go back to bondage after being delivered from that bondage. Numbers 14, 1 and 4 says this. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. They complained against the man of God. This is your fault because all this happened here. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that he had, we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Would to God we would have died here. It would have been better for us to die here than to be free, be free from all of this bondage here. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this lamb to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be prey, where it not be better for us to return into Egypt. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. The same situation that the children of Israel found themselves in because of their unbelief can cause you not to inherit the promises that God has made for your life here today. The New Living Translation says this in Hebrews 3 and 7, 19. It says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as the, the children of Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them to do. So my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter into my place of rest. Be careful, dear brothers and sisters, verse 12 says. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is today, still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we shall share in all of the belongings of Christ. What is the rest here today? See, even though in chapter ends here, the Bible, you can go on to the verse, the Bible is written in letters, you can go on here to verse chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For under us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The word preached was not mixed with faith in them that heard it here today. Now 40 years was up, and it is time to claim their promise. And Moses had to pass from the scene due to his disobedience in the wilderness of Zen by smoting the rock instead of asking the rock for water. And it was time to choose a new leader. I can just imagine that this new generation, they were just sitting around waiting. 
Man, how many more people got to die here today before we finally get out of this place? <laughs> I bet you they were looking around. Now, wasn't he around at the time? Hey, let's watch when he's going to kick the bucket here so we can get out of this place. <laughs> I bet you they were making bets and holding, ca- I guess that day, casting lots on who was going to go next. <laughs> but here, Numbers 27 and 12 through 20 says this. The Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into the mount of Abiram, and see the lamb which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when they had seen it, thou hast also shalt be, shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brethren was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the waters before their eyes, that is the waters of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. And the congregation of the Lord be not a sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man of whom is the spirit, and lay thy hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation. And give him a charge in their sight, and thou shalt put some, some of thine honor upon him, that the congregation, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Amen, amen. So God chose a man to lead them. And that's the way it's always going to be in life. God is going to choose for you a leader to lead you out of bondage. A place, a man who can take you to a place that you've never been before. And now it is time for new leadership to take place here. And he chooses a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua 1 verse 1 through 9 says this. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Every place. Listen to that. Every, I don't know why I'm feeling this. Every place that you set your foot, the Lord God has given unto you. Brother Albritton, I tell you what, when we get out of the car to go outreach and you put that foot down, we need to be saying, God, give that to us. That's ours. That's our territory. I don't care how many churches has been in there doing outreach. That's ours now. We're going to take possession of that here today. And go on, Brother Goff, if you would. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of Hittites, unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all Nobody's the days of thy life. Nobody's going to be able to stand before you. Everybody's going to fall in, inside of you here. Go ahead. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land. Be strong and of good courage, because this land is yours. Which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and, thou, and then thou shalt have good success. Amen. 
Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Be not afraid, be strong and of good courage. Obey the law, obey what the man of God has to say for you, and you're going to conquer this land, Joshua. And I'm here to tell you today that the promises that were given here in this reading to Joshua and his commissions are the promises for this church here today. Joshua assumes the command and tells the people, get ready for revival because here it comes. Joshua 1 and 10 verse 11 says this. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare you victuals for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth to you to possess it. Sounds like to me something I heard at the beginning of this year. It says, be bold and be strong because the Lord our God is with us. Go into the camp and get, tell everyone, get ready, get ready. Verse 2 and verse 1, as we get to where I want to be here today, leading us up to this point here in the story, as the children of Israel begin to come into the promised land to possess it. God sends out a couple spies here into the land. Can you just imagine after what they just went through for 40 years that they're going to send the spies out again into the land? I'd be, I'd be, oh, I mean, are you sure you heard God, Joshua, here? Are we going to do this again and doubt God and then come back with a bad report? But I submit here to you today that Joshua knew exactly what he was going on. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 of the New Living Translation. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from Israelite camp at Agatha Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan, especially around Jericho. So the two men that set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. A prostitute means a person who yields herself for defilement for sake's gain. Can you imagine being a spy in that day tasked with going into a city of people that were not your people? That you stood out like a sore thumb in that place. Immediately when you walked into that place, they already knew where you were from. And that's like us here today as we walk into places of like Walmart. People recognize us. They know and they, they look at us. They make this quick step aside like, hey, those are church people right there. But the scripture says that when they came to Rahab's house, I was wondering how they knew how to get there. How Was this part of their plan? It, the scripture says that the, con the commentaries say that not only was it that she had an end, she, she managed an end, which in that time the end was also considered, can be used as a brothel of that time. But Josephus mentions Rahab uh, was merely renting out rooms and, and this was another source of income. It was not uncommon for both an end to operate as a brothel in the same building and entering Rahab's quarters was not necessary a deviation from Joshua's orders. Or could it be that Rahab was sitting at the gate looking for a new opportunity of business? Or knowing that at some point in time that the spies would show up and she could be the first to greet them because she was looking for an opportunity to...
to escape her situation. I believe God wasn't worried about the city and the people of that city. I believe God looked down at that city that day and saw I saw a lady there that had faith in that city. He didn't send them spies into that city to spy out the city. He sent them spies in there to rescue one soul. He sent them in there today to rescue one soul. I believe as the spies went in there, they were going to spy out the land. I believe their intention was to spy out the land, but God had another plan for them. They were sent on a divine appointment to see one soul saved. I don't see anywhere throughout the story where they ventured throughout the city of Jericho to spy out the land. And Joshua 2 and 2 says this, And it was told of the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to the night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho said unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are th- come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be searched, they be, they be come, they be come to search out all the country. And the women to- took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, and whither the men went I wot not, th- not wot not, pursue not after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. All right there. Notice here in the land of Jericho, they had Karens in it as well, tattletales. I submit to you that the Jews there, they they were spotted long before they even got to the gate here. But if you noticed here that Rahab told a lie in the hiding of these people, she lied. So this raises the question here today, when is it okay to lie? I, I, I know... I know some people <laughs> that they think it's always okay to lie, good to lie. You, you have a scenario here with two sins on the table. You have the sin of lying, which the Bible calls a lying a sin. And you also have a sin here where if she gave over those spies to be killed, it would also be a sin. But I also find in the scripture here today that there was another story in the scripture here at the children, uh, the midwives in the book of Exodus, when they, when they went in, the Pharaoh there told them, you know, when the baby boys are born, you need to kill them. And the, and the midwives feared God and told Pharaoh that the, the, these women are more lively than the Egyptian women and spared them. And God blessed them. And, it, and this is just a personal opinion, and this is my own thought. I, I think the reason why God blessed them is because... They feared God. Not only did they fear God, they preserved life instead of seeing children murdered. But here today, something, uh, verse 6 of Joshua 2 says this. But she had brought them up to the house, roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men... Pers- the, the, this verse here. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid upon in order. That to me seemed like such an in, insignificant verse until I got to reading what she was, what, what, what the stalks of flax were all about here. It says, it, it was amazing. Why, in fact, she hid the spies and stalks of flax is an important detail. The custom of drying flax 
By exposing them on the sun on the flat roofs of the houses at the time in history was important because wool and flax were critical raw materials in that day for creating clothing, rope, and cord. And they were woven together. It's my personal belief here today, Brother Goff, that she was putting flax. It was an act of faith that she was making rope and going around that city telling people that, guess what? God's coming back. God's coming back, and you need to preserve yourself for what's coming. And here's a way of escape here. This, I'm making this rope. If you purchase this rope for me here today, you may have a way of escape here today. But I'm here to tell you today, here in verse 7, and as it was an act of faith on her part. I believe this is what God was looking at. This whole story of Rahab. And everything that you read as you get to looking into this scripture, everything that she did was an act of faith to God, and God was looking at her faith. Verse 7 says this, And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they were pursued after them, that them were gone out, they shut the gate. She sent them out on a wild goose chase. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is falling upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt. And what ye did for the two kings of Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Who was Sihon and Og? You know, the rest of the people in the city of Jericho heard these stories as well. But the only one we see here responding to the story is Rahab. Sihon stands for the word tempestuous, which comes from a word meaning tempest. Dictionary.com defines it as a windstorm with hail or snow, a violent commotion or disturbance. The name Sihon means storms of life. And Og is a, is a giant. He is a character represented by his saying his bed was uh, six foot wide by 14 foot long. He represented the spirit of laziness. What, what Rahab is saying is here, when we found out that you guys conquered the storms of life and got past your laziness, we had no more faith. We were, we were fearful of that because we knew that you guys were going to conquer us here today. And verse 11 says this, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of giants. Behold, his bedstam was a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Bedstead of iron, it was only of Raboth of the children of Amnon. Nine cubits was the length thereof, and the four cubits of breadth of it after the cubit of a man. That was the scripture describing who Og was. Verse 11 of Joshua says this, chapter as 2. As soon as they were heard these things, our hearts did melt, and neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Amen, amen. What she was saying there is we're scared to death because you guys have conquered us. We heard the stories about the, what happened on the other side of the Jordan and now we're fearful what's going to happen here and I'm looking for a way out. Now there, Joshua 2 and 12 says this, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness that you will show me kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And verse 13 says this, and that ye shall save alive my father 
and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She went upstairs to cut a deal with these gentlemen. I believe her whole lifestyle dealing with men, she was able to get them men and to persuade them to her way of thinking here. And she said, because I've saved your carcasses, now it's time you save mine and get me out of this place here today. And verse 14 says this. And the men answered her, our life for yours. If ye utter not this business, and it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. 15. And then she let them down by a cord through the window, and for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Now, the cord that she made here was a cord that she made for herself, but we see here that she's using it to save other people here today. And what she didn't know was that the scarlet cord that she used to let these two men down today, that now her umbilical cord would be the bloodline that would save the whole world from sin. Verse 16 says this, And she said unto them, Get ye to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourself there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. I, I, I want to know, Brother Golf, and it's just my personal opinion here as I was reading this, how did she know where to send these spies? How did she know out of all the places that were around she could have sent them out to the fords? How did she know to send them in the direction she did? And this is just my opinion here today, but I believe... I believe in her profession that she may have had clientele in the upper echelons of the army in the military there at that time, and she was pressuring them. What is your guys's? What is your military intelligence? What do you do when you have deserters that flee this place? What What do you guys do? What What? How do we get out of here? How can we get by and get away from this place? And verse sixteen says this, or sorry, verse seventeen. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this, of this thine oath, uh, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we will come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. Amen. That's... She brought her whole household. That is something that goes on through the New Testament. Her faith made her whole household be saved. Go ahead. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the door of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in, thy, in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand come be upon him. And if thou wilt utter this our business, then we will be quit, quit of thine oath which, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. In other words, these two guys were hanging out the wall of a window by a thread, basically. And as they get down to safety, they finally, they decided, you know what, we're going to change the details of this contract here. Now that our carcasses are safe and we know where to go run and hide. Rahab, we're telling you here today... You know what, if you do any of these things that, that void this contract, our oath with you will be terminated here today. And she's like, you know what, I just don't care. Whatever you guys say, I just want out of this place. I want to be saved from this atmosphere that I'm in here today. And verse 22 says this. And they went and came into the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. 
And so the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. They brought back a good report this time. Hey, you know what? We, these people are scared to death of us here in this city, and now we are well able to go in, as Caleb said earlier, and take and possess the land. So we get down, we get down to the story here as we go down into Joshua ver, uh, chapter 6 and 16. As we begin to start here, they go in and cross the Jordan River here, and they go in, and verse 16 says this, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the tr- priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein. To the Lord only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Amen, amen here today. Verse 20 says, So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. And it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell flat. But that's not really true. The wall did not fall flat. As I don't know if many, in studying for this message here today, I don't know if many of you knew that there was two walls in Jericho. And when Jericho was built, it was built on a hill. And that hill slanted up. And at the top of that hill there was their wall. And it was designed so that when enemies would come to try to batter the wall and crush the wall and break down the door, that they had to run up that hill first and then try to hit it with that battering ram. At that point in time, they didn't have enough energy or any force enough to destroy that door here today. And, and, And Joshua in verse 21 says this, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, the ox and the sheep, and ass, and with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as she swear unto her, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. Amen, amen. Everything that Rahab's had was saved her mother her father her brethren her possessions but the question i need to ask you here today and as we read here in verse 15 of joshua 2 and 15 says this then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall if rahab lived on the wall and the walls collapsed how did rahab survive the calamity I'm here to tell you today, as I was studying for this message, that as she let the spies down with the cord and she was lived on the house of the wall, this was an interesting study I found at BibleArchaeology.org. It says, according to the Bible, Rahab's house was incorporated to the fortification system of the wall. On the north end of the tail, Jericho, archaeologists made some astounding discoveries that seemed to relate to Rahab. The German excavation of 1907 through 1909 found that on the north side of the city, the wall did not collapse. The portion of the mud brick was still standing at eight foot high when they went to excavate the land. In other words, Brother Golf, 
It didn't matter that the whole world was falling apart around Rahab and those around her. God, God preserved her in that time. And her wall did not collapse. God is able to preserve you here today in your time of calamity. It doesn't matter where you've been in life and what your situation may be. And it may seem like the whole world is collapsing around you. But I tell you, if you come to God, He is able to preserve you from that calamity. And what I wanted to tell somebody here today is that God is able to preserve you. But that is not the end of the story of Rahab even though it is an interesting story. Everywhere in the scripture that I read from that point on, Brother Golf, you read the name of Rahab. It is always, except for one that I found, is associated with her past. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Why does the Bible keep showing her as Rahab the harlot after she'd been saved? The only thing that I could come up with is the devil was trying to throw it up in her past until I felt that the Lord said something different to me. And what God was trying to say is I put that in the scripture to tell somebody that no matter what your past is and how bad your past is and where you may have been in life and what your situation is, that I'm able to preserve you from that lifestyle and I'm able to keep you in that day And now, because of that, we see here today that the story does go on. That Rahab has become the spiritual mother of us all. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 says this. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been with the wife of Urias. Did you hear that? A woman of ill repute, a woman who had a lifestyle that most of us would shy away from and wouldn't even talk to. Most of us wouldn't even address this lady in today's deal, but God had another plan for this lady. He took this way, this lady and her lifestyle and He put her in the high class of women of the kingdom of God here and He put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And what God is trying is looking for here today, He's not looking at what your life is now. He's not looking at your past. He's looking at what you are worth here today. In preparing this, and you know, I spent many years in Sunday school, so I just figured I'd do a Sunday school object lesson today because that's where I'm most comfortable at. Here I have today a $100 bill, and it's my wife's, by the way. So I can go ahead and do this example, and it doesn't cost me anything. (laughs) who would like a hundred dollar bill here today raise your hand everybody here would like a hundred dollar bill well too bad you're not getting it but anyhow (laughs) let me ask you something here today here's this hundred dollar bill it's wadded up it's crushed it's wrinkled It doesn't look like it did when it was crispy and brand new. Who still wants this $100 bill? We all do. Why? Because it's still worth $100, right? No matter what it looked like, it's still worth that $100. And I'm here to tell you today, (laughs) 
this $100 has been crushed. It has been stepped on. It is now dirty. Who still wants this $100 bill? Why? Because it's still worth $100. And I'm here to tell you today, and I won't do it because uh, I'll get slapped when I get off of here. If I was to tear this $100 bill in half and put some tape on it, would it still be worth $100? Why? Because you could take it back to the bank and turn it in, and they would give you a brand new $100 bill. And that's what I'm trying to say here today to somebody that may be listening online, that may be here today. It doesn't matter your situation. It doesn't matter if you've been crushed. It doesn't matter if you've been stepped on. It doesn't matter if your heart's been torn in two. It doesn't matter the situation. God is able to restore you here today in this place. Amen, amen. But I'm here to tell you today, as Rahab acted upon her faith, and God looked down in that city and saw her faith. Rahab had to make a choice. Rahab had to make a choice. She could sit there and perish with everyone. Or she could get up out of her situation and make a decision and a choice to make a change. And I'm here to tell you today, we have an opportunity, a window of opportunity here in this place today. Each and every one of us is faced with a choice here in this place today. But it's not just enough that we think about it in my opening statement here today. I said faith is not just a feeling. It's not measured as a feeling. It's measured as an action. Let me prove that to you here today in the scripture. James chapter 2 verse 19 says this. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, and devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest, that thou, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was, made, was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed upon him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man, was, a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the, Rahab harlot, the harlot justified by works. When she, had said, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In other words... As James is writing this here, and he equates, and he talks about Abraham, the father of faith, he puts Rahab right here in the same conversation as the father of faith. As you see here, her faith here today was just as measured, just as high as Abraham's faith. But she didn't just sit around and say, you know what, maybe God will, maybe God won't. I believe God will. No, she took an active step in a direction that God wanted her, and God delivered her from every situation. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you may be in life. I don't know what's come, and I don't know what's going. And I know this seems like a strange Mother's Day message, but perhaps I'm reaching for a mother that's in the world today whose life has strayed. It is not what it has become. 
And it's not where it wants it, you want it to be. But I'm here to tell you today, if you take that step of faith and you make your way to the house of the Lord, I'm here to tell you today, God is able to restore you here in this house. And I'm not just talking to women here today. I'm talking to men as well. And I can put it in a Sunday school term here today by talking about cars. If you want to hear it from the men's perspective here today. You know, as I look online and I look for cars... And I look for these old classics. And most of the time, you find them in this day and age, brother, they're rusted out. They're dilapidated. They're in need of much work. But I'm here to tell you today that those rusted out cars resemble sin that eats away at the body of that car. And I'm here to tell you today that when you buy, God has purchased you here today. He's bought you with a price. And He wants to bring you into the house of the Lord. And you may not look the way that you should. And the rust of your life may be rusting away at your heart and mind and your body here today. But I'm here to tell you that when you come into the house of the Lord, God's going to cut away the old rust pieces of your life. He's going to cut away those things in your life that don't need to be there. And He's going to restore and replace those things that have been dilapidated in your life. He's going to put a new paint job on you. He's going to put a new engine in you called the Holy Ghost that's going to give you the driving speed that you need. But I'm here to tell you today just as much that faith without works is dead. As I call, begin this altar call here today, I ask anybody here today, maybe your life or maybe those online who need a fresh chance, who need a fresh start, who need something in their life that they don't have. And Rahab is a good example of a life that was torn, that was broken down, that was shameful, that was disgusting by our standards. But God looked down upon her and said, you know what, she's the type of person I want. She's, nobody else wants this woman, but I want her. And most of us here in this place today was in that same situation that Rahab was in. We were in that same situation. I know when I look back on my life here today and where I came from, smoking cigarettes like a steam stack, and I was and sin as far as you could go running from God and I was in a place where I didn't have any hope but one day I looked in the mirror and I had this question for myself I said God is there any more to life than this and then the next day I received a letter from Sister Riggin inviting me to the house of the Lord for the Valentine's Day banquet and then after that, I'm up buying cigarettes and a brother up there hits me up with a church card the next day. And the day after that, I receive another phone call from a brother saying, Brother, we sure would like you to come to church this day. We sure would like to have you to come. And everywhere that I turned, brother, the Word of God couldn't get away. It was drawling and pulling. And I was like, you know what? Maybe there's something to this. Maybe something that my wife had been doing for seven years and I'd been poking fun at and punching at and yelling and screaming and doing everything in the world to try to distract her maybe she had found something that I had needed and I'm here to tell you today friend there's something in the house of the Lord you may not understand it you may not know what it's all about 
You may not know, know anything about God, but I'm here to tell you today, if you just come with a humble heart and a hungry heart, that God is able to help you here today. He's able to set you on a path of happiness and joy. And He's able to cut the destruction out of your life here today. Please come here today and pray with us as the singers begin to sing.